Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations with Calvin. Uh, we the Species. Uh, this is um, uh, August 11th. And uh, this is a little bit of a sizzle reel to introduce my very esteemed guest, Gloria Barnett, uh, live from London. Uh, I guess it's London or thereabouts uh, from England. Uh, Gloria is one of the more preeminent oceanographers and environmentalists uh, in, the, in the world. And, and we're gonna talk for a long time uh, about her work. Uh, um, it, it's almost beyond comprehension. I've been trying to digest everything that Gloria does in her work and her commitment and her lecturing uh, uh, about the environment. What makes this even more timely for everybody listening to this scissor wheel is that a couple of days ago, the IPCC, which is the UN climate, came out with a report uh, saying this is a, uh, um, a code red for humanity. That's where we're at environmentally, uh, uh, which is kind of scary, but we're going to listen to Gloria. Uh, and she is completely replete, which is a great word, with so much information and so much experience and passion uh, and dedication. Uh, so listen up, everybody. Uh, that's the end of this sizzle reel. And now it's time. Uh, and, and I'm so grateful uh, to Gloria for taking the time out um, uh, of her afternoon. It's morning here in Jersey. It's afternoon there. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Gloria Barnett, um, why don't you do a little bit of a, a quick bio of yourself, and then we'll kind of jump into some things. Okay. Thank you, Calvin. And thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Okay, who am I? What am I? What do I do? Um, I've been an educator all my life. I've been a teacher, science teacher. Um, but I'm also an ocean adventurer. That's what I like to call it, because I've dived all over the world filming underwater creatures. It's part of my background of biology. I absolutely love dealing with animal biology and diving was the only way I was going to find out about what lived under the oceans. Um, but I also now do talks to audiences all over the world. I do science workshops in schools with very excited pupils and I write books for both adults and children about the oceans. So that's me. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So uh, I'm just putting on my little light here to shine some light. Um, I'm, I'm an old fashioned guy. I never want to curse the darkness. I want to shine a light. That's an old expression. Um, I, I guess the best way, uh, uh, the first question that pops into my head, uh, if you could talk about the vastness of oceans uh, beyond my comprehension. I think that's a, a perfect way of saying it, Calvin, because I think that's the, what I try to get over to any audience that I'm talking about. I start off by saying, I'm sure you might know the number. 70% of the surface area of the world is covered with water. Um, but it's very difficult to, to visualise how much that actually is. But, you know, just one part of our ocean, which we call the Pacific, 
I mean, the whole ocean around the world is called the world ocean by scientists. It's just, we call it, you know, the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian, simply to find where it is on, on the map of the world. Um, but the Pacific is the largest of all the oceans we have. And it's 32% of the Earth's surface. And, you know, if you've got 70% covered by water, that means you've got 30% land. And that makes the Pacific bigger wow. than all the land pushed together. And it, it's quite difficult to, um, to get people to understand that until you start thinking about it a bit more. So what I usually do is I say, look, the deepest point is only 11 kilometers down. Then everyone goes, well, hang on a minute. 11 kilometers is, is nothing. You know, I can get in my car and, um, and just be up the road in five minutes, you know. And I say, well, okay, let's put it into some sort of perspective. What's the biggest, tallest thing on earth? And of course it's Everest, the mountain Everest. Well, you've got to visualize this, okay? If I was to go to the Himalayas and with my big sharp knife, and get hold of Everest mountain and cut it off at the bottom, right? Stick it on my shoulder, take it back to the Mariana Trench in the Pacific and dump it into the deepest part of the ocean. That mountain, Everest, the tallest thing on earth, wouldn't actually even reach the surface because it's only eight kilometers wow. up. So if you're thinking about the depth, it's not so much how much is 11 kilometers, it's also, how awful it is to be able to try and explore it. You know, I go scuba diving, I can go in and I can dive to 30 to 40 metres. That's what I'm allowed to do. But, do you know, deep ocean is, is really demanding to visit because there's a lack of oxygen, a very high pressure that will kill you because it will collapse your lungs, um, lack of light and so on. It's just a really very, very hard place to explore um it's so hard to um you know picture doing all this diving and and and, and when i do my promos i'm gonna have pictures of you diving um i, I don't know anything about diving uh, is, is it dangerous mm -hmm. the kind of diving you do um, it can be, yes, if you're not sensible. I mean, you have to, I always tell anyone who says, oh, I want to go diving. I say, well, go and learn to dive properly. Go to a diving school, uh, get your certificates, get all your practice, learn how to use the equipment. That equipment you're taking down with you, you know, the, the breathing apparatus, the, the tank on your back, the jacket you, you blow up and down with, with air to give you buoyancy up and down, all of those things need practice. You can't really just walk in the ocean and expect to be able to do it all. Um, but what I always say to people is go and get properly qualified so that you know what you're doing because your life depends on it. Um, but also remember that underwater, the, all the creatures that are there, uh, it's not a zoo. You know, the animals you see underwater are not in cages. Um, this is a wild environment where any creature can sneak up behind you without you realising. And I mean, I've, I've often been told by people who've been in the same diving group as me and we've gone down and I've got my camera and I'm firmly fixed looking through the lens of my camera. And when we get further up, um, you know, back up onto the dive boat, people say to me, well, Gloria, did you see that big turtle come up behind you? And I, 
No, I was looking at what I was filming, you know. And of course, the people who don't know me very well will, will try and trick me and say, oh, did you see that shark? Thinking that I will get scared. But in fact, no, I'm not scared of sharks. I've, I've dived with them regularly. Uh, just my only thing about that is pick the right sharks, okay? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm laughing. Uh, I'm not laughing. Uh, I'm a very silly guy and I am what I am. And, and, and at this stage, I'm not about to change. But anyway, back in 1975, 76, and it's a funny story, uh, quick. Uh, uh, I went to see this new movie that came out called Jaws. Oh. So I went to see that. Uh, and I swear to you, Gloria, that I have not since I saw that movie, I have not been in the ocean. I don't even nope. put my foot in the ocean since 1975, period. Yeah, I can understand that because, you see, the, the, the chap who wrote that book, and it was, sorry, I'm, I'm writing his name down in front of me because I had this habit eventually, of forgetting eventually. things. Um, I had a habit, terrible habit of forgetting things very quickly. Peter, Peter Benchley, right? Um, Peter the... Benchley. Um, yeah, Peter Brenchley. And now he, I don't know if you realise, he realised what he'd done afterwards and that he'd actually, you know, made um, sharks the, the worst possible horror story in the world. Uh, and he also realised that that was not the real story about sharks. There are 370 different species of shark and only three you really shouldn't go swimming with, which is the great white of course, the bull shark and the tiger shark. Now, I get accused of sort of, you know, saying to people, you know, just, just avoid those. Ask local people if you're in a, somewhere where you're not normally going to dive, if it's new to you, new country or whatever. Ask people around you. Ask the locals. They'll tell you what's around and uh, what, what sharks there are. But no, just avoid those three if you can. But Peter Brenchley then went, um, after he'd made his millions from the, the movies and his book and everything, he spent the rest of his life working in shark conservation. Oh, wow. Trying to get the good wow. name of the sharks back. But wow. people like yourself, who by this time had been switched off, you know, it's very hard for them, very hard for people to do that. But he did try. He is trying. Interestingly, uh, I interviewed a, a couple of journal, uh, librarians from Rutgers uh, a couple of months ago. They, they're doing a digital newspaper project. And they go and they take old newspapers from 100 years ago. And, and, um, but um, I should have brought it up here to show you. But anyway, they... They took a headline from 100 years ago and, and they had it. It was digitalized. But anyway, it was a story about a shark swimming up a, a, a freshwater tributary and, and, and eating some people here in, in Monmouth yeah. County like 100 years ago. And, yeah. and somewhere it was rumored, we discussed this on air, that Peter Benchley had seen that and that was one of the uh, uh, motivations for him to write Jaws, but it, it hasn't been proven. Uh, anyway, moving along, uh, well, I find it very easy to go off topic with you uh, because my head is filled with things and you, you've got, you know, it's so much information. Um, here's a, a broad general statement, uh, uh, the incredible life in the oceans. You, you must have 
in your days seen some incredible life. Can you talk about that? Oh, fantastic stuff. And some of it, the tiniest of things. I mean, I'm, I'm totally in love with sea slugs. Sea, slug, sea slugs are not like the slug you get in your garden. And they're all black and slimy. Sea slugs are beautiful. There's about 3,000 different varieties of sea slugs, all different patterns and, and uh, colours. So they are absolutely fantastic. Uh, but of course, the, the oceans are actually famous at the moment for holding the largest creature that there's ever been on Earth the blue whale. Now, the blue whale is with us now, and I feel quite sort of um, chastened, really, to think that I'm on the planet at the same time as this incredible creature. I have never swum with one of these. They've never been anywhere near one, but they are quite difficult to, to find. Although, you know, but the, the, this amount of water on this planet hides very big things. Um, but the blue whale is larger than any dinosaur that ever walked on our planet. There's been no fossils found anything the size of the blue whale. Wow. And uh, to give you some idea of how big that blue whale is, uh, if you think about your tongue, your tongue in your mouth is about the size of the back of your hand, right? About that size around the back, back of your hand there. Um, that's our tongue. So when you're thinking of a blue whale, and I tell you that the tongue is the size of an elephant, <laughs> you know, it gives you some idea of the size of the blue whale. And the blood vessels, the, um, the blood vessels are incredible. They are so big that um, a human being could swim through the blood vessels of a, wow. of a blue whale. Wow. So, yeah, so we've got the biggest things. We've got the tiniest of things. And, of course, the most important tiny thing is plankton. Plankton is amazing because it, it photosynthesizes. Now, you see, I have to admit now to being a biologist. So whenever I see anything green, I immediately think, oh, that's wonderful. It makes me smile because photosynthesis is caused or, you know, allowed to happen through this chemical called chlorophyll. Um, so, I mean, we all learned about it at school, but we sort of forget about it so easily. Uh, Photosynthesis is using light and a couple of chemicals to actually make food and oxygen. So it's carbon dioxide, a little tiny bit, water, lots of it in the ocean, sunlight and the green chemical chlorophyll, which in this instance in the ocean, it's inside the plankton. Now, the plankton re releases oxygen excuse me, releases oxygen into the atmosphere and it releases glucose, which starts all the food chains. So actually, plankton, this tiniest of tiny things, is so important to all life on Earth because the plankton produces 70% of all the oxygen that's released into the, ocean, into the atmosphere. Wow. Another 10% is released by seagrass, which is the only plant in the ocean. So the oceans are actually responsible for releasing 80% of our available oxygen for wow. life on Earth. Oh, and that oh. other 20%, of course, is rainforest, which rain. lots of people have been told over the years that rainforests are the lungs of the Earth and they produce all the oxygen. Well, actually, that's incorrect because it's oceans. And it's about time, really, we start thinking about looking after our oceans a bit more. Otherwise we're in, in trouble. We really are gonna be in trouble.
really big trouble. Uh, and it's funny, I always thought it was the rainforest too, till I started plunging into to reading up on you and reading up on oceans and just getting some basic knowledge. And it kind of blew me away, 80% you know, of our oxygen. We discussed this, I think last week, you know, the whole notion of plastics that is filling the oceans uh, um, and, and, and we're, we're doing terrible things to, to the oceans uh, and, and that's giving us 80% of our oxygen. Uh, it, it's beyond. Um, here's a, a, a statement. Uh, um, I don't even quite understand the statement, but um, is it true that uh, animals in the ocean uh, are actually involved in chemical warfare? Is that, <laughs> yes. Is that, yes. Explain that. Um, well, um, if we go back to evolution, we we all know that life started in the ocean. Hopefully, if we hopefully everybody who listens to this is with me on evolution, it does happen, and it's not one of these mad things. Um, evolution has been proved. You know, there is no doubt that it's it's part of life. Um, life started in the oceans. How? We don't know whether it came in from a, something coming in from space or something that was just in the primi, primordial soup that actually just went ping and all of a sudden we've got life. But what it's, what's happened is that all the life on the planet has come from that original life form. And we've all developed from that, which is why we all use oxygen and why it's so important to every life form on the on the on the planet. Um, but um, for millions of years, um, everything in the ocean has been ahead of us because humans didn't actually arrive on. It. I mean, if you talk about things in the ocean, we're talking about millions of years, you know, 500 million years when we first had corals. And jellyfish. Humans have only been on the planet for about 44,000, not million, thousand years. And I take that from the point at which the Neanderthals died out, okay, and what's called modern man occurred on Earth. So, you know, what's happened is those creatures in the ocean have had millions of years to develop uh, the way they live. And they are always in a situation of survival. You know, there is one fish that eats another fish. There's another creature that eats another creature. Everything eats everything else in the ocean. And if you want to survive, then you need to find ways of doing it. So what's happened is things like coral, which most people also don't know is an animal, but it's an animal, it's not plant. Um, coral, when it actually forms and actually finds a little space on an old bit of coral top for it to clone and, and grow bigger and bigger and bigger. It actually uses chemical warfare to spread a chemical across the reef that will stop other different corals landing on there. So it's just, this is why you get big clumps of coral in one place and not another. And then you've got a different coral in a different place because they've spread um, different chemicals out. So when you're diving, I mean, when I was diving with a camera, I used to, you know, have my camera like that in front of me on two handles either side. And of course, in the water, I mean, I don't think people understand when you when you actually um, uh, filming underwater that you're being blown around by the water, the current in the water. You know, I mean, I always explain to people we all know about wind. 
uh, in the trees blowing around on land. We have to imagine that's happening as well underwater, but this time it's the current, which is uh, sort of formed by heat and salt and stuff like that all reacting with each other. But the currents are moving you around. <laughs> so I often used to hold the camera with one hand and then have a little finger out just to hold onto the piece of coral to stop me moving too much, right? Um, and when that's happening, you actually touch it with your fingers and you end up with a rash all over your hands because you're touching the chemicals. Wow. So, yeah, chemical warfare. Wow. Um, I mean, oh, some of the uh, snails, uh, they've got like a hypodermic needle coming out, which they, they attack something with, squirt something in and then retract again and just sit and wait. And then the creature they've done that to is dead and they eat it so wow. we've got a tr i mean if if i was to write a book about the chemical warfare i think actually it'd just give me an idea i think i need to write another book uh, <laughs> it's mind-boggling because <laughs> nobody has any clue which, yeah. you know, any clue whatsoever uh, uh what evolution uh, has done down beneath uh i i i just got to take a minute out um you, you've written so many books and you have so many different series. I just wanted to expose. Um, here's a, a Lucy Morgan adventure story. The, the secrets of the shower. I just want people to see this because uh, uh, we need to promote. You, you've written so much in your series. So this is Lucy Morgan series. Um, and, and, and you were talking about fish. So uh, you have a fishy tales storybook. And this is uh, Prickle the Puffer Fish. This is a good way to, for people to see this. And of course, I'm going to have all this stuff up when I yep. promote this yep. video. Um, and, and one of my favorites uh, uh, is Logan the Lobster. <laughs> see that. And by the way, I, I have this great kinship for the lobster. Uh, uh, and, and, and the kinship is I refuse. Uh, I have refused most of my adult life to eat lobster because I, I, I just, yeah, I that, that, that's, that's good for the lobsters. It's good for I'm sure, I'm sure the lobsters. Will be, I'm sure the lobsters will be really pleased to hear that. <laughs> uh, it, it's just my, I, I don't, uh, I don't like what humans do to prepare uh, lobsters to eat. Uh, no. No, no I, I don't. Well, I, I think I told you I, I don't eat anything with four legs either. Yeah, that's been yeah. going on since 1975. I'm okay no. then. You're not. You're not a cannibal. Then I'm. I'm. I'm okay. I've only got two legs. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm okay there. But uh, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. But uh, it's funny <laughs> about the lobster. But these are wonderful things you've written, and we'll have all that information up for folks to see. So, uh, moving along. Uh, a broad question, and you sort of kind of answered some of it, but why do we need a healthy oceans besides the fact they give us 80% of our oxygen? Okay, well, 80% um, of our oxygen is num of our oxygen being released into the world is is the number one. Uh, food sources, yeah, we can we don't have to eat things that come from the sea, but you know, lots of people do. Um, I mean, a lot of countries can't actually have many sources of protein. So, you know, some of the poorer island countries 
that have no form of protein apart from fish. So that's pretty good. They, so we need healthy oceans for that. The, the problem is that we are a throwaway society and we have been getting really, really bad at it since about 1970, maybe even 1960. Um, basically, you know, if, if something uh, stops working, you don't look for a repairman anymore. You throw it in the ocean. Uh, or you throw it away. I mean, I'm saying throw it in the ocean. I mean, people do when they're out on the ships. It's now illegal, of course, to throw anything in the ocean from a boat. Um, but people in the past have done it a lot. And they, there are people that still do it. And when they throw something in the ocean, what happens? It disappears. So everyone thinks, oh, it's gone. Nothing to do with me anymore. It's gone. Well, that's I think the, the pigeons are coming home to roost is an, Eng, an English saying. I don't I don't know if you know that, that saying, but, you know, we now realize that we've made such a mess and the the plastics are in, uh, just horrific. I mean, I've I've um, recently come across a video uh, of a song that a. Um, some children in Cornwall have recorded and it's called Hey Human and it's saying what do you think you would do what do you think would happen to all the plastic is part is one of the lines what do you think would happen to all the plastic you know you didn't think in advance humans you know and now look at the mess you've made so uh, if you can if you can find Hey Human uh, the 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 YouTube Ah, I recommend that to anybody. But yeah, healthy oceans. I mean, it, the healthy oceans are not about just oxygen and a food chain. Um, all our weather, not the climate change bit, but our weather is uh, controlled by oceans. Sun shining on the ocean, making water evaporate, leaving the salt behind. And then you've got the, the basis of the water cycle um, where you've got clean, fresh water forming in clouds uh, from evaporation and then condensation. And then those clouds move across. And I always joke with people, they, you know, they come across the Atlantic and they, they rain on whales because that's where it's always raining um, in the UK anyway. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, the oceans are doing far more for us than people ever realise. The, the oceans have been chemical sink. Uh, for years and years and years, millions of years and have naturally looked after the earth because carbon dioxide hasn't always been just formed by human beings. It's been formed by volcanic eruptions and that is, um, you know, normal. So the oceans have always taken out any excess CO2 from the atmosphere from volcanic eruptions and it's brought a balance back to the earth. So you know, the oceans are all part of keeping the earth balanced. And, and if you think about it, what planet is there that's got oceans the size of ours? And do any of those, well, none, basically. And do any of those planets have life? Uh, no, not that we know of. So think about it. If we have oceans, it's actually because it isn't supportive of all the life on earth that we have all of the life on earth. If we stopped um, the plankton producing oxygen into the atmosphere and the oxygen levels reduce and reduce and reduce, then we are gonna be, you know, pretty sad. 
because it won't just be humans. It'll be giraffes, it'll be lions, it'll be ants, it'll be insects, it'll be birds, everything on earth that uses oxygen. And that is everything, uh, all creatures on earth, apart from little tiny bacteria, which leaves, lives at the bottom of the ocean. So in other words, all life on earth, mm. and it's us as human beings that have done something really wrong. And we've got to start reversing it. Uh, I mentioned this to you a little off topic, but I mentioned this to you. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm, I listen to all this uh, and I get petrified. Uh, yep. I get petrified and, and um, but I had mentioned this to you uh, the other day when we chatted uh, there's a huge area in the Gulf of Mexico called the dead zone. Yep. And, and I didn't even know it existed till uh, I saw a little blurb uh, on the news. Uh, and, I mean, there's a huge area that's completely dead. To yes. Life. It's yeah. right there in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Well, what people don't realize, I think, is that not only how badly we have damaged the oceans, but how much, how long it will take us to repair it. You know, we can, we, we're really good at the moment. I think we're really good at the moment as human beings, certain human beings, is collecting the stuff that's in the oceans now. The old five gyres in the Pacific full of plastic, that's being collected now. There are some of the rivers in the eastern part of the Asian area uh, where stuff is in the in the rivers and coming down into the oceans. That's being picked up before it gets to the ocean. So there's been absolutely loads of really, really good work going on and people picking up plastic. But they're just really only taking it away from the surface. What the problem is, is that over the hundred, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or more, we've been throwing stuff in the ocean. The stuff that's below the surface is now becoming microplastics. And I don't see how we're going to filter that. Mind you, there is a, a company up in Scotland who is working on a, they've developed a filter that will take plastics out of the ocean. Wow. But, but how much water is there in the ocean? You know, we're going to be a long time. Oh, wow. You're going to need a lot of filters. My goodness. That's why, Calvin, that's why I'm so optimistic about the future. I am not like you getting to be upset because I think the humans have actually got something inside them that will say, and it might get, get right up to the last minute before they start thinking about it. But every day there is something that makes you realize that the climate changes is happening now. You know, it's not something someone else has to worry about in the future. We all have to do our own thing and try and do something uh, now because it's happening now. And we can see it. Of course, we can see it. Uh, I think actually what we're going through now, uh, it, almost, it almost reminds me of the movie Ghostbusters when they called all these happenings uh, uh, biblical. I, I think what's happening now is, is is biblical. You know, these fires that that are burning up chunks of California and, and people here in New Jersey are breathing in 
the smoke from the fires and the droughts yeah. and the Salt Lake is the, yeah. it, uh, its lowest point and a pandemic. I mean, all of this uh, and, and starvation uh, and drought, uh, uh, you know, I'm waiting for the locusts to come, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think they're probably a following on from something else, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they're lining up, they're lining up. So you, you've kind of gone over, uh, you, you kind of touched on, on, on water cycles and how important that is, and it comes from the ocean. Yeah. Um, uh, are, are, are there any animals uh, actually that don't require water? Don't require water. The desert creatures, um, okay. camels can go without water for a long time and then drink a lot all in one go. Okay. Uh, everyone knows about camels um uh kangaroo rats how about kangaroo rats they're quite tiny they're cute little things but they probably they don't have any drinking at all um and a lot of animals only eat certain things and get moisture out of the leaves or whatever so you know there are creatures that don't actually drink water but get moisture from their food okay. um but kangaroo rats i think uh one of those uh, if i love those sort of questions you know what what creatures um uh, well it's really easy for kids these days isn't it and adults you know if you've got a question just go on google know. you know say what animals don't drink water you I know, know and i you get this whole and then you, you go from page to page and before you know where you are you've, you've lost an hour of your life you know <laughs> yeah yes um i'm a big fan of google so you're you're um you, you really are an amazing teacher, and we'll get to some of your teaching exploits shortly. Um, why is it, and, and you know, you, you've written so many children's books, but why is it important? Uh, kind of, the answer is kind of obvious, but why is it important to really, really educate children? Okay, I, with my talks to adults, I sit there and I say to people, right, have you learned something today from my talk? And very often it's the fact that it's 80% of the oxygen comes from the ocean. And they all go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I've learned today. And then I look at them on the screen like you do with Zoom. And I look at them and I say, now, I think you're all about 32 years old. And they all laugh and send me off to Specsavers to get some new glasses. Uh, 32 years old. No. I said, well, look, if you have just learned something now for the first time ever, how come we're not telling children now? Because we can't afford for them to wait till they're 40, 50, whatever, to find out that it's oxygen that the oceans are supplying us with. Um, it's got to be the children. Now, I always say, if you cut the top of my head off, you, it's like a stick of rock with a, you know, education going right the way down, all the way down. And I've, I've, I've loved being an educator. I've loved teaching children. I love teaching adults too. I love helping adults to understand things. And we basically need all of the next generation. And the best generation to get to are the seven to 12 year olds because they are influencers. You tell of that a child of seven to 12 gets something in their head 
like all of a sudden they'll go, ah, you got to protect the oceans. They'll go home, they'll tell parents and grandparents and siblings, and they move that information out and around. And they're the ones that have, have been uh, fighting for no plastics in the ocean for a lot longer than adults have. Wow. And they're really, really going for it. And if we can get the children at that age group to understand the importance of oceans, then, then they've got it for life because they get very dedicated to understanding certain things. Now, the, 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 the storybooks that you showed, um, the Prickle and Logan are called the fishy tails, right? And they're for little Sure, again, while you're talking. Yeah, there's Luke, Logan, and the other one is Prickle. Now, they are storybooks for parents to read to their children or for children when they're starting to read. And they're merely there for children to fall in love with sea creatures. So they can actually, I mean, I know children. I've had the reviews and the, all the all the letters back from children to say how much they've enjoyed the Logan one and the prickle, but Logan in particular gets children going, ah, oh, because they, they almost cry halfway through the book, going, oh, poor Logan. And then at the end, you know, he's the he's the, the hero. But you know, it, it it's um <laughs> the idea is that you fall in love with Logan and the other creatures but the bigger books the ones for the eight to 12 year olds the lucy morgan stories they are adventure stories now what child doesn't want to read an adventure the difference here is that i've written the adventure stories with a theme of now that one can you see the little girl is diving yeah so what is that saying about what sort of story it's going to be correct and this little girl has travelled out from London uh, in book one. The uh, Eye of the Turtle is book one. And she's travelled out from England uh, and gone to live in the Caribbean and then learnt to dive. And then found out about the animals, which she then promises to help save. Um, so there's a little bit in there. Not a lot. I mean, it's not a science book as such, but it's an adventure but built on the facts that we've got around us, like there is plastic in the ocean. So that sort of thing. So, and at the back of the books, I mean, I've got the books here as well, as you to hold them up, but if you go to the very back of the book there, uh, you'll see that every one of the animals that she has come across, can you oh, see wow. there's four pictures on wow. just that page. I think there are quite a few pages um, of those. And it's telling them all about the different creatures, um, the different creatures that are in the oceans uh, that they have just read about. And the kids are loving that. They're coming back to me saying, this is great. So, you know, it's an adventure, but with a message. So um, I think it's the message that all the children need, to be honest. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um... Just a, a little quick off topic. Um, I have forewarned you. I, I just want to ask one off topic question. Uh, it's my favorite question to ask off topic. Uh, so here's the scenario, Gloria. Uh, excluding family or friends, somebody living or dead you'd like to spend a day with. <laughs> ever so easy. Ever, ever so easy. Because I've done the same thing. I, I use the same sort of phrase. I say to other people, who would you like to come to dinner? Same thing. 
same thing. And I, they say, well, what about you? And my answer is always the same. Charles Darwin. Wow. My hero. Because he stood up for what he believed was what he had researched and thought about and eventually written. Um, and everyone around him was saying, look, Charles, if you don't get it printed and get it out there, there's somebody else that's thinking the same way and you're not going to get the, you know. The... So anyway, he did actually write the book um, and got it out there. But of course, in those days, he was in the Victorian age where his wife was, I think she was the daughter of a church minister. And everybody was saying, oh, oh Charles Darwin, you're, you're rubbish. You're saying we're monkeys and, you know, we've all come. And they don't, totally didn't understand. And they probably didn't understand on purpose because they didn't want to hear it. Um, but no, it's not. Evolution is not like that. We haven't all come from monkeys. We've just got a, an ancestor way, way back that, you know, other things have developed from. But we don't di di develop directly from monkeys. And, you know, when and you, I suppose Charles Darwin was sort of saying there is no God because it's evolution. We weren't planted, you know, we, when we came on Earth, you know, it wasn't all ready for us. We didn't arrive with God having given us all these animals, etc. Um, so Charles Darwin had a really hard time, which I think is what I admire about him. I think he's uh, he was he's tremendous. And there's another one is probably, um, I doubt if you've heard of her, but it's a woman called Ellen MacArthur. Now, I've done an awful lot of sailing in my life, okay? Sailing boats, sailing races, cruising around mainly Europe in boats, um, in our own boat. And I know what it's like to be on a, on a big yacht, okay? It's, it's hard work. But she, Ellen MacArthur is someone who um, went round the world with just her as crew on an extremely big boat and she went around the world and uh she had all sorts of things happen whereby she was having to climb the mast and and nobody else was there to help her you know unbelievable stories of how she's wow. got round um she's she's about the same size as me which isn't tall at all <laughs> And I, I, I suppose I sort of looked at her when she was doing all this, thinking, wow, not only is she brave, she's, she's you know, she's tremendous at doing this. She now, she no longer sail. well, she probably does sail, but she no longer goes into competitions. Um, and, but I think she's now into conservation. Last time I heard, she was uh, doing conservation with albatross. So, uh, which are, of course, when she went round, the Southern Ocean all by herself with a boat doing that all over the place. Um, she knew about albatross because they would have been with her. Wow. Um, but no, two people. I'm afraid right. Charles Darwin is dead, so he's a bit more difficult to talk to. But That's Ellen great. MacArthur. And I've actually met Ellen MacArthur, so I, I've, I've, I've sort of half done it, haven't I? That's I've great. met her. <laughs> okay. Um... You, you have uh, the nomenclature uh, of being called, and that's actually in the title uh, of this video, you, you, you are called the weird fish lady. So uh, how did that come about? And what does that mean? Why? Okay. Um, 
I do talk about a lot of really weird creatures because people don't understand half the stuff that's in the ocean. So, and I, I do, because I can get big audiences, I do go on cruise liners, but only special ones, ones that I am convinced are doing the right thing about the ocean and the way they're looking after the ocean, etc. I won't mention the name, but they're one of the biggest uh, companies in the UK. Now, when I was doing a talk once, I realized that in my first talk, at the end of the talk, because you're always being rushed to get off the stage because the next speaker is coming along. And um, I'd forgotten to say to the audience, oh, by the way, if you've got any questions, you know, I'm on the ship, <clears throat> come around and, and talk to me. And uh, I'll answer questions, you know, anywhere sort of thing, you know, just, just stop me and talk to me. So anyway, that afternoon, I got into a, a lift, sorry, Americans, an elevator. Um, I got into an elevator and this lady was in there and she went, oh, oh, you're, you're that, you're that weird fish lady, aren't you? <laughs> and it sort of stuck, you know, because I liked it. And when I was looking, because if you're going to get on and, and get people to listen to you, you've got to find something that's different, I think, about who you are um, so that people go, oh, really? <laughs> uh, and that's what the phrase weird fish lady does. And I can tell you that the children, when I'm going into schools and doing my talks to schools, they absolutely love it. And I think I've even got here. Oh, it's a thank you card for some children that wow. I was in a school with the other day. I can, don't know if I can get this to show up. There we are. No, it's not going to show up. But down the bottom there, it says, to the weird fish lady, and they spelt weird wrong. <laughs> to the weird fish lady, thank you for the lesson from Evie. And she's, wow. she's drawn some turtles and things like wow. that. And they're supposed to be me in a, in a dive suit. But it's... It's the children absolutely love it. When they call me that, it's it's being polite. They're, they, they're acknowledging the fact that I I know about weird fish. Um, but they also like it, you know, because it it's um I suppose it makes them laugh. Wow. But it's just wow. it's better than just being called Mrs. Barnet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um so you 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 do extensive uh lecturing on, on cruises uh and, and i was a huge fan i can see myself having gone uh we did a lot of cruising before um uh, but uh, environmentally speaking um uh uh you're environmentally speaking uh you know cruising is, is it carbon inefficient or efficient or is it there better are, than it's are. been yeah, it's, it's as basic as there are good companies who look after the environment very well indeed. And there are bad companies who are just out to make money out of people and, you know, don't look after you. Uh, so I choose very carefully. Um, if anyone wants to write to me and say, which cruise liner do you use? I'll tell them, but I won't do it on here. I don't think it's fair. Uh, in a way. But the reason I use cruise liners and the particular ones that I do is because um, you've got a big audience. I mean, during the lockdown, I have done over a hundred different talks 
all around the UK, down to South Africa, Australia, um, New, New Zealand and uh, Norway. Uh, I've been doing these talks for 45 minutes, just a quick talk, blah, blah, blah. the sort of thing I'm saying to you today, really, about the importance of oceans and weird fish and joke here or there, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, but when I get on cruise liners, I've got 600 people. If I'm on the, the cruise liner that goes from New York to Southampton, like a ferry, okay? I'm not going to say anymore, but you know there is one very big fish uh, ship that I get on. And I'm, I'm welcomed on board every time by the people who work with them. Um, so I, I get on board that ship and I've got them to myself for seven days. These people are not getting off. Because they're, they're very good. They're not flying. OK, so six. if I go in on that ship, it's got a small theatre for speakers. Now you can get 600 in there and I'm quite happy with 600. If I go on some of the other ships with that cruise liner, cruise line, uh, they don't have that little theatre. And they, I then go on to the stage, the main theatre stage, so you can get up to a thousand people. Um, I have actually a couple of times filled it. <laughs> which is quite amazing to get a thousand wow. people. Um, but that was because I was coming back from Canada to Southampton. It poured with rain every single day. So nobody was sitting out in the sun anywhere around the ship. And of course they started to come in and once they come and see me once, they then start coming back to all the other talks. Because of course you're speaking every day on a different subject. Mm -hmm. well, it's all oceans, but it's all slightly different. Um, but no, people just love, um, listening to about the wildlife and climate change and i talk about all, all sorts of things about reducing their carbon footprint to help save the oceans and um just all sorts of things you know that they need or want to know and they want to now that's the point actually i haven't said about this is that when i do my talks um i actually explain what's going on in english so you know Although I'm a scientist, I every scientific word is explained in, in what I do. So in all of my books, there's a, 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 a great big nonfiction book as well called A Guide to Understanding the Oceans. All of that, every single bit of science is explained. OK, so you shouldn't today hear me say anything that I don't explain the way I I wouldn't just say, oh, photosynthesis, da, 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 whatever. No. I said, hang on a minute, let's just remind us what photosynthesis is and then we can move forward. OK, um, and that's what I do all the time. And I do quite, I think, quite interesting. I shouldn't say that, should I? Quite interesting talks on things like atmosphere and ocean or about mountains that live under the sea, mountains that are under the sea. Uh, and then, of course, I get into all of the crustal plate movement of plate tectonics and I, that's that's real science isn't it you know but then the rest of it is the biology the life of oceans and and so on so yeah i i love talking to anybody and i will regularly on board ship when i'm not on the stage i'll be you'll find me in a coffee shop with somebody who wants to ask questions and i just love it you know it's great so a good segue uh, is uh, you do amazing work, and you're very, very active in the Rotary. Yeah. So, so can you uh, just give a little a picture uh, of that? 
Yeah, sure. I think everyone knows what Rotary is, but if not, just to make sure that they're with me. Rotary is a, a worldwide organisation. Um, it's got 1.2 million people. Um, all of us, whatever club we are in, whatever city or town uh, around the world, we all are trying to do good, um, such as the eradication of polio work that's taken place worldwide. Uh, and we're a hair's breadth from completing that task. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've been a Rotarian for 20 plus years. Uh, and I love the fact that we're called people of action and we get on and do things. I mean, I'm doing an environmental project with my own Rotary Club in Canterbury here in Kent, which is the southeast corner, bottom southeast corner of England, um, south of London. And uh, I, I just love the fact that um, that what we're going to do is going to be helping a school to um, plant trees, put in meadow grass and also put in educational things for them to learn about nature in and around a school field that at the moment is a fairly blank piece of paper. You know, it's there, but it's not being used properly. So the Rotarians um, will organise things. So we'll get a digger from somewhere and we'll get someone to do it without having to pay them. We'll, we'll, or we'll dig a pond ourselves. You know, on a Saturday morning, we'll all turn up and we'll dig a pond. You know, we're all people, business people and people that have got other things to do. But mm -hmm. we always like to give back to the community. So, you know, if you're ever in trouble, ring. A, I mean, we've done all sorts of things in our club, like um, give a, a special piece of equipment to a, a small child who, who needed a piece of medical equipment. All that sort of stuff is what Rotary is about. So it's about health. It's about education. It's about clean water, peace. We support peace um, uh, scholars around the world. So, yeah, if you don't know about Rotary, look it up because it's great. I love it. I love it. Um, we, we covered, I, I want to make sure we covered uh, all, the, all your, your writings, the Lucy Morgan. Uh, I didn't show this one, uh, The Hidden Cave. Oh, that's uh, book three. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, people will be able to find uh, all the information on your books uh, on the on the website, which is all along there. And and you're, you're um, I I think I heard you say I'm not putting you on the spot, uh, but I mean you are certainly so capable of doing zooms here in America to teach and spread yeah. the word. So yeah. I'm planting that seed for folks out there who are watching this, that you are accessible. Um, I am accessible. I, I did a couple of um, American ones during the lockdowns that we had in the UK, and I was zooming all over the world on my broomstick. Um, I used to say, I'm just going to oil my broomstick and I'll be with you at half past whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get around. Um, the only thing I would say is that my diary now is getting to be absolutely crazy because the cruise ships are coming out of, of um, retirement. For a while. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting booked up beyond belief. So you, you can contact me and I will willingly come and talk to anybody. Um, but the, <laughs> it's a matter of making sure I've got some space in my diary. <laughs> Finally, to to wind down, uh, uh, we could go on indefinitely because uh, you are uh, absolutely enchanting in your knowledge. Uh, 
uh, I'm just trying to absorb the depth, the breadth, uh, your commitment and all this. Um, in, in a parting statement, I'm not putting you on the spot or anything, but what do we have to do? Uh, what do we have to do? Uh, is that is that an unending question? What do we, we have to do um, actually really soon? Yeah. It is, it is a question I, I'm getting asked a lot because I'm doing the environmental blog for Kent uh, Rotary Clubs. I'm being asked now to talk not just about being a weird fish lady talks, but how does my Rotary Club do something? Um, and, and I'm being you know dragged into the environmental stuff hands on an awful lot at the moment, which I'm not complaining about. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but I, what I do is I, I'm saying to everyone, start with yourself. Um, try, if you can, to stop using fossil fuels. Sometimes you can't do it completely because the government hasn't done something to allow you to have a replacement gas system for your boiler or something. Um, but, you know, try if you, everything you can to stop using fossil fuels, which, which of course, is creating CO2. Um, Work out your own carbon emission footprint. I mean, when I go on a cruise ship, I then come back. If I have had to fly one way or other, if I am flying to New York, then coming back on a ship to Southampton, uh, I look at the mileage that plane has taken me across to New York. And I, every few months I, I work it out and I buy trees, which I get planted in schools. Um, the reason for that is that the children is getting hotter and they need some shade as the summertime is getting hotter. Um, so the more trees that I can buy, the better to be put in those sort of places. So start with yourself. And then as, once you've got yourself doing as much as you can, I mean, I've got my house with solar panels and and uh, everything I can possibly do um, with with not using energy, etc. Um, so just start with yourself, but then move on and move outwards. So it's, it's fine if you've got a rotary club because you can start your club. Or if you haven't got a rotary club, just start it in your town. Get, you know, start a community-based understanding of what you all need to do. Um, so your community, change your lifestyles. Um, People have said, oh, gosh, we all want to get back to normal after the, the COVID pandemic. And I'm saying the opposite. We don't want to go backwards. We the normal that we had in 2019 is no longer. And the normal we're going to have in the future is so exciting. It is so exciting because we can do certain things which enables us to get it right and I was listening to a politician. I don't do that very often because I don't think politicians know what they're doing. But there is a green politician in the UK who is very, very good. And she was saying this. She was saying, we're looking forward to change. And within that change, we can have people being happier, being more employed in different things. Uh, there should be no more poverty, etc." in the country if we do it right. And we've got an opportunity, an opportunity to do it now. So yes, we are gonna change our lifestyle, but it's a different lifestyle for the future, not looking back and saying, let's get back to normal. It's, I don't like that at all. 
Um, so yeah, decide to live our lives as sustainably as possible. That just means when you've got um, shopping choices uh, in the supermarket, don't buy the, well, you can get them, I suppose, oranges from California, uh, you know, rather than if you don't live in that area and it's got to be transported by air and transport and stuff, you know, reduce as much as you can to things being moved around. Uh, so being sustainable, trying not to use up all the things that Earth is, has got there for us. Uh, and to get rid of consumerism. Um, at the moment, we uh, just have a throwaway society and we need to repair things more often uh, and stop buying everything new. If you don't need it, don't buy it, is what I say. And live your life within the boundaries of a sustainable planet. I think there's something called the overshoot day, which is when one day each year, and it's been going back and back and back, um, every year is said to be the day when we've used up the Earth's resources for that year. And the day this year was the 29th of July. Wow. Now, when I first started talking about all this stuff 10 years, 12, almost 20 years ago now, it was August. Wow. Now it's the 29th of July. So we've so, taken a whole month out of that. Yeah, already in 20 years, 10, 20 years. Wow. So, you know, we are just using up all the resources. It's not sustainable to use so much. We've got to cut back on all sorts of different things. So sustainability, consumerism, those are your two big words that you need to understand and try and get your head around and start off with not using fossil fuels and Work out your carbon footprint. You will be amazed what you can do to help the planet. I'm taking notes, by the way. I, I wrote down. <laughs> well, hey, I'm a note taker. Um, yeah. I am a note taker. Well, hopefully that, that sort of answers your question. Is that all right? Yeah, that's great. Uh, no, it's great. Uh, it, it really is great. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was listening uh in the pandemic set in and, and uh, I, I used to drive uh, 15,000 miles a year, um, at least a car and 15,000 miles a year. So in two years, I put on 30,000. What's interesting uh, is uh, the pandemic and in the last two years, I, I've put on four. Instead of 30,000, I've put on four and guess what? It's fine. Yes. Done everything I wanted to do and yeah. needed to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and to me, that is such a glaring, like, light bulb of wow. Instead yeah. of 30,000 miles of, of burning fossil fuel, I've burnt 4,000 and, and it's fine. There's, yeah. I haven't denied myself anything I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and and it, and it, it's you know during the, the pandemic you, you think what you really need to do what you have to do yeah. uh, and of course buried beneath my surface is environmental things because I've been that way since 1970 uh, Earth Day yeah. uh, and to me that's just one gigantic exclamation point to go yeah. from 30 down to four and be fully content yeah so uh I can't thank you enough, Gloria. My pleasure.
This okay. has been, um, this has actually been sumptuous. <laughs> That's a good word. I, I looked it up before we went on air. Uh, spending <laughs> this time with you has been sumptuous. Has anybody ever said that to you? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Well, it really has been. Uh, and, and your time, your passion, your energy, I said this before we even started, uh, you're so exceptional. Um, I'm so thrilled I met you. And I, of course, I met you through this little group. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, it started yeah. with Alan Hess uh, uh, down uh, in Ecuador, who I, I might as well just quickly say, he is the author um, uh, The Adventures of Captain Polo. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, and, uh, and, and he's from the UK and he went down to the, uh, the rainforest, uh, after he graduated college on a three month trip just to learn. And he stayed for 30 years. Yes. Um, so, uh, um, well, I, I hope Calvin that, um, your viewers and, and so on will find some of this useful. Well, I'd love to be able to say and hope that it is correct is that instead of looking ahead and thinking, oh, it's all doom and gloom, uh, climate change, overpopulation, this, that, everything you look at, it could be, if that's the way you wanted to look at it, is could be doom and gloom. But I'd like everybody to decide that actually we're in charge of this and we can do it. And I, I want people to be optimistic. Go for it. Look at what they're doing. Look forward, find a better world than we had before. I, I do, I would like to wish all of your listeners a better world for the future. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much. Uh, of course, I'm inviting you to come back and we'll all, our little group will get together and find ways to communicate and, and yeah. come back and, and redo things. And uh, so thank you so much, Gloria. Pleasure. Right. Been great. Be well, you be well.